What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another edition of the DNBR Rams podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Download it today. Use the promo code DNBR when you sign up. All right, y'all. It is late night, Sunday night, so it is Monday. By the time you are listening to this, we're going to talk just briefly about the AFC and NFC championships. And then we're going to have a little bit of fun. This idea was inspired by my good friend, Aaron Harris. He is as big of a CSU supporter as there is. And he texted me the other day with the idea of I should go into the three CSU hills I will die on, like the three stances that I will argue with anybody. And honestly, it was kind of difficult narrowing it down to just three. I'm an opinionated guy. I'll argue with you guys about just about anything if you give me enough time. But for the sake of this show, I had to narrow it down to three. Didn't want to give like 100 talking points. So I think it'll be fun. Uh, real quick, before we talk about those championship games, CSU football did pick up a verbal commit today. Six foot eight, 280-pound offensive tackle, Jacob Belton of Long Beach City College originally out of Woodrow Wilson High School. I posted on Twitter that he was the first commit for the 2024 cycle because in his Twitter biography, it says class of 2024. I've had a lot of people reach out to me asking why 2024? Why wouldn't he be coming this year? I don't know. I will reach out and I'll get further information, a clarification on that when he will officially be at CSU. Uh, if it isn't going to be until 2024, my guess would be it has something to do with needing a certain amount of credits. But I'll get to the bottom of that, and I will give you guys more information when it is available. In general, this was an important recruiting weekend for CSU. I know they had a ton of in-state kids on campus, uh, some out-of-state talent as well. We'll certainly be focusing on recruiting quite a bit in the coming months as this 2024 class fills out, especially when basketball season comes to an end. Before we move into those three CSU hills that I will die on, I did want to talk about these championship games, though. Uh, one of the biggest weekends in football, always one of my favorite weekends as a football fan. And I hope that you guys got your bets in over at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sponsor of this podcast. New customers were able to bet just $5 and get $200 in free bets. DraftKings is always hooking up the new customers, but what was cool is they also hooked up everybody because you were able to place the stepped-up SGP. That's the same game parlay. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, up to 100%. I had a couple of SGPs on these games. Went one for three. Not the best, but I'll take it. Broke even for the day and still have some futures in play uh, with the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl, so we'll see what happens there. Whatever you're doing, if you are betting on sports, you've got to make sure you are doing it with America's top-rated sportsbook app, and that is, of course, DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app today. Use that code DNVR when you sign up. I'm sure they'll announce a new Super Bowl promotion tomorrow, but I do hope you are able to bet that $5 if you are a new customer and get $200 worth of free bets to play with. Always fun to have a little bit of action in that account. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook with that code DNVR. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void in Ohio. See show notes for details. And I've also got to shout out the homies over at Breckenridge Brewery. We were live from Breckenridge uh, from the farmhouse on Friday evening. We did the draft pod. It was a whole bunch of fun. They hooked us up with some food. The beer was flowing. It's a great spot. If you are looking for 
you know, just a place to hang out for a couple of hours on the weekend, maybe watch the games. They've got all kinds of TVs. It's awesome. Really cannot thank the people at Breckenridge enough. If you can't get in there, that's okay because you can get Breckenridge beers anywhere. They have a beer for any occasion. There's no better way than uh, hanging out with the friends and having an ice cold Breck brew. It's made with 100% renewable energy. We love that. And personally, I just love the variety. I'm really big on the Fun Slinger right now. That's their new collab with Never Summer. Can never go wrong with a Mountain Beach Sours, especially as we get closer to summer. But I think it's perfect and crushable for the slopes as well. Whatever you fancy, check out the beer locator at breckbrew.com. Find a Breck Brew near you. Cool, cool, cool. Let's talk just briefly about these championship games. I know it has nothing to do with CSU, but we're all sports fans on this pod. I've got some opinions I want to get off my chest. Starting with San Francisco, Philadelphia, which was a bummer. I mean, losing Brock Purdy that early in the game and having that offense not even be able to attempt a pass, that game was pretty much unwatchable by the fourth quarter. And it's a shame because I think it had the opportunity to be a really good game. I would have loved to have seen Kyle Shanahan have the full range of his offense because Christian McCaffrey, he was running so hard. He looked like he was back at Stanford again. I mean, that touchdown run he had was absurd, just running through guys and his getaway speed. Like, I think we forget because he's been so injured of late, but he truly is one of the most dynamic athletes in all of the NFL and getting him in that Shanahan system. It must've just been such a godsend for him getting out of Carolina, a perennial disaster and over to San Francisco in a system and with a coach that's perfectly suited to take advantage of his skill set. He's just one of the most unique weapons in all of football. I know that this game was a bummer and you didn't really get to see the, the 49ers offense at, at its full capability, but when you look back at the last 10 weeks going into this matchup, they were a machine, and to do so with their third-string quarterback is is really saying something. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens there because I think Purdy had a pretty good chance to go into next season as their starting quarterback. Now, who knows what's going to happen with that injury, how long he's going to be out. Is he going to need like Tommy John surgery or something with the elbow? You just never know. Maybe they bring Jimmy G back, but they've been trying to get rid of him for three years. It feels like that's just such a wonky situation. Maybe Brady's in play. I don't know. If I was a serviceable or a proven NFL quarterback, I'd sure love to you know, get an opportunity in that Shanahan set, looking at them being like, if they can win with these guys, put me in that system. Regardless, I would still select Brock Purdy as the NFL Rookie of the Year just because what he was able to do with that team and the success he had was pretty much unprecedented as far as being a rookie and, and stepping in and running the show and just, I mean, really killing it. It wasn't like he was just a game manager. Some of those games, he was really attacking the middle of the field. He looked good. That said, even with a healthy Brock Purdy, my pick going into that matchup was Philadelphia. I thought the Eagles were going to cover comfortably, not as comfortably as they did. But my confidence in the Eagles really stems from their offensive and defensive lines. I feel like they have the best group um, in both of those areas in the entire NFL. That was definitely on display against San Francisco. They're running the ball at will, and they're doing it really without the threat of Jalen Hurts stretching the field. If I'm an Eagles fan, that's my biggest concern going into that Chiefs game because other than that, they look like an absolute machine. He did not really show in this game 
that he can beat you over the top. Now, they didn't have to in the second half, but there were some instances when it was still close where you know he had an open A.J. Brown at one point, just completely missed him. I really don't think that shoulder is 100% yet. But as a guy that watched Jalen Hurts at Alabama and obviously cheered for him, I think it's just such a cool story. I mean, to get benched the way that he did and then to not immediately throw a a temper tantrum and hit the transfer portal and to acknowledge, yes, if I want to go further in the sport, I have to become more polished as a passer. I am a dynamic athlete, but I have a ceiling as is. And he worked his tail off, stayed true, ultimately, you know, had to go in even after getting benched for Alabama in the SEC championship game, ultimately went on to Oklahoma, lit it up with Lincoln Riley, and now he's a legitimate NFL quarterback. And I really don't think we talk about his journey enough. To me, it should be a movie. Show young athletes what can happen when someone with an insane amount of talent also has a a humble mindset and the work ethic to really go get it done. And when things get tough, you can pack your bags, you can hit the portal immediately. And this isn't me trying to be the old guy yelling at the the sky saying all kids are wrong for transferring. I don't believe that. But I do think he is a perfect example of kind of sticking it out a little bit and having it work out for him in the long run. But we'll see. We'll see if he can stretch the field against Kansas City. And if he can, this Eagles team feels like a machine right now. Uh, moving over to Kansas City, Cincinnati, The story is obviously going to be the officiating. I've already seen a ton of people on Twitter complaining about it being rigged. I thought it was just bad officiating altogether. When they replayed third down, that was super weird. I could see how it could happen, though, if they were trying to blow the whistle and nobody could hear you in a really loud arrowhead. Also, I think it's weird that we're fixating on these couple of calls that uh, benefited the Chiefs in the second half, and there certainly were some. I'm not saying there weren't. And we're not acknowledging at all the calls that went against Cincinnati. I mean, they had points taken off the board or against Kansas City in the first half. Excuse me. What I was trying to say is we're ignoring the calls that went against Kansas City in favor of Cincinnati. Again, these refs were really bad, but that's pretty prevalent in football. Like if you watch it on a week to week basis, the officiating has never really been a strong point. So I'm a little confused why the reaction is. So dramatic as if this was the first time we'd ever seen blown calls in a big stage. Maybe it's just because I didn't care if the Bengals won. I know a large portion of this country is completely sick of the Chiefs. I'm a diehard Broncos fan. I'm certainly not a Chiefs fan. I got Chiefs family members texting me the DX uh, suck it chop once they win. But I really didn't care who won this matchup. I just wanted to watch an entertaining game between two competitive football teams, two tremendous quarterbacks, and that's what we got. I fully expect the Bengals to be a force for years to come. That team is tough as hell. They are well-coached. Even in spite of those blown calls, they kept punching back. I think they have the best one-two punch at wide receiver in the NFL with Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Those are legitimate number ones. But I do find it interesting that Kansas City was essentially preemptively written off before this matchup was even played. Not by Vegas, but if you watched any of the talking shows, any of the media, I mean, everybody was picking Cincinnati. And even aside from this matchup, all year, I just kind of feel like people were talking about the Chiefs as if they had taken a step back or something. And they weren't covering. They weren't covering these massive spreads that they got every week, very similar to Georgia. But it's still Patrick Mahomes. And I'll be honest, in the offseason, 
I I talked myself into them losing Tyreek Hill being a much bigger deal than it ultimately was. Their offense was actually more well-rounded once he moved on and they were able to kind of spread that money around, get some different guys in there. And defensively, they're way better. I mean, this is just a more complete team than what we had seen from the Chiefs the last couple of years, especially on that defensive side. And ultimately, Mahomes is still Mahomes. Yes, losing Tyreek Hill, taking that vertical option out of the offense, it, it changed what they did. It, it was less a quick strike and more methodical drives. But I, I think this team is honestly more complete. And they're better inside structure than they've ever been. They've always been solid at the the scramble drills. You know, Mahomes running around, connecting with Kelsey. That's always what's going to make them really, really lethal. The difference is now is, like, they're completely content just, you know, having that 13-play, 85-yard drive running eight minutes off the clock. And maybe they have a few less explosive plays, but they also have a lot less mistakes from just trying to force things unnecessarily. Anyways, we'll have to monitor the health situation of both Jalen Hurts with his shoulder and Patrick Mahomes with that ankle. Having two weeks off is definitely going to be big. But uh, my gut, I'm, I'm still kind of leaning with the Chiefs as much as I like this Eagles team. And I, I don't know. That's where I'm at right now. We'll, we'll see where I'm at in a couple weeks. But let's move on. Let's get into those three CSU hills that I will die on. I do want to tell you about Green Mountain Dental Group, though. The most rewarding thing about DNVR is seeing the connections made through our listeners in this community. Green Mountain Dental is an OG partner of ours and major Colorado sports fans. They've been a supporter of DNVR since the very beginning. We've had countless fans, even our own staff, convert to Green Mountain Dental and never look back. Located just 15 minutes from downtown Denver and Lakewood, CSU alum Dr. Ben and his team have you covered from general dentistry like regular cleanings, orthodontics, such as removing those pesky wisdom teeth and everything in between. What's awesome is the Green Mountain Dental Group has a few offers for the DNVR fan. If you tell them that DNVR Sports sent you, you can get a $300 discount for a full orthodontics treatment if you are a new patient. Also, if you mention DNVR, you can get a set of free bleach trays, a $350 value with a new patient cleaning exam and x-rays. Lastly, for all the hygienists out there, Green Mountain Dental is hiring. Full and part-time positions are available. They're willing to work with your schedule as well as offering a great benefits package with healthcare and PTO. To make an appointment or find out more information, check out their website, greenmountaindentalgroup.com today. Cool, cool, cool. Mentioned it at the beginning, but this topic idea came from my good friend, Aaron Harris. And I I did struggle trying to narrow it down to three. I don't know if this would be my top three, but they are certainly uh, stances, hills that I feel very, very passionately about. And uh, starting with green and gold over everything else. Tradition matters in college sports. The nostalgia, the memories... It's a big part of what makes college sports special. And the colors representing your team, representing your university and your community, that means something to me. My entire life, going back to elementary school even, I've been a CSU guy surrounded by CU supporters. It's that way um, in my life now. Most of my friends, um, you know, some of my coworkers, they're full-on black and gold, all about the buffs. And for me, like I've, I've always taken pride in repping the green and gold around them. When I was a sophomore in high school, I wore full green while sitting in the CU donor section 
of the Rocky Mountain Showdown in Denver. I ended up getting a ticket uh, from my aunt, who's a CU alum. She had an extra ticket. I wasn't going to not wear CSU just because I was in their side. In hindsight, really poor idea. Thankfully, I looked like I was 12 when I was a sophomore in high school, so nobody really messed with me. But maybe it's corny. Maybe it's me buying too much into proud to be and, and you know us being a community and all that. But I fully feel that when you wear green and gold, it's about something bigger than yourself. And because of that, I love the green and gold helmets over everything else. I think the Ag Day helmets are sick. I'd have no beef if they wore them um, more than once. But for me, it's all about green and gold. There was a stretch a couple of years ago where they were wearing the white helmets so much it felt like we didn't even wear green and gold anymore. I mean, it got to a point where I was excited if I saw they were going to be wearing their base helmet. And to me, the tradition of all that, it matters a lot. And I understand that you do need some swag. You need some alternate gear, especially in 2023. It's a big part of the recruiting scene. I understand all of it. But I also think it's really important to keep your identity and to understand what it means to see that team wearing the green and gold on national television and what that means to the former players that have come through here and the people that have been going to the games for 50 years. And It just all goes back to the fundamental belief that when you are wearing green and gold, you are representing something so much bigger than yourself. You are representing your university and the history of it and the community and the people that reside there. There's an element of this that exists in pro sports, but it's just different at the collegiate level. I do understand that my perspective is always going to be different than most Ram fans, especially around my age, because I grew up living and breathing CSU football, bleeding that green and gold. And if you didn't have that same emotional attachment you went to CSU during a time where they weren't that dominant. I could see the argument or I could understand why you just like the flashier uniforms because they pop. But I'm a traditionalist at my core. I'm not actually going to use this as one of my CSU hills to die on because I have made this point so many times on the podcast and talked about it on Twitter so many times. But I firmly believe Wyoming is CSU's most important rival. I understand most people under the age of 40 are going to skew CU. And with everybody locally drooling over Deion Sanders, it's, it's making that worse, even for me, I'll be honest. It's really testing me and my core beliefs, but ultimately it comes down to the history and what that game means. So anyways, maybe I'm just an old soul, maybe I'm just an old man, but it's green and gold overall for me, and I will always feel that way even with the alternates. Like I love Ag Day, not just because it's cool, but because of the history it means. And I guess I'm just more for that than I am random uniform combinations, even if they are cool. My second CSU hill that I will die on is that if Capri Bibbs does not declare for the NFL draft after his historic 2013 season and decides to come back for 2014, then the Rams would have ran the table that regular season, won the Mountain West, and ultimately landed in the Fiesta Bowl. Those 2013-2014 offenses were some of the most fun groups that I had the pleasure of 
watching over the years. It was a great time to be a young student at CSU. It was a great time to be working for the football program. That 2013 offense, they just mauled dudes. I mean, they had a beefy, experienced offensive line. You've got Crockett Gilmore and Kevon Cartwright, some serious size at tight end, and Bibbs, and they just ran it down your throat. 200-plus yards a game. He had 31 touchdowns on the ground that year. I mean, he was unstoppable. For my money, it's the most individually dominant season by a CSU football player ever. I think you could argue Trey McBride's Mackey Award season just because of the sheer amount of targets that he had. I mean, he was pretty much uncoverable. But just 31 touchdowns is absurd. And if you remember that second half of the 2013 season in particular, whether it's that finale against Air Force, I mean, even Washington State, like you could not stop Capri Bibbs on the ground. It did not matter if you put eight, nine in the box, like they were going right down your throat. The 2014 offense, while it still had a, a strong presence on the ground, D. Hart was really effective. I don't mean this to be dismissive of him or his abilities. He was great. I I don't know. I just think if you put Capri in that offense, they're unstoppable because at that point, Garrett Grayson was so polished as a passer. The chemistry he had with those receivers was through the roof, Charles Lovett, and obviously Richard Higgins. The O-line was still really good, but defensively, they were much more complete. Gave up about five points less a game, which is a significant improvement in one year. But, I mean, when you look at that 2014 season, they went 10-2 and in the regular season before getting uh, stomped by Utah in the Las Vegas Bowl. Their losses were, were Boise State and Air Force, who also both went 10-2 and that year. CSU had to play Boise on the road in Week 2, which sucked. It was just a terrible spot to have that game. They could not run the ball that night. D. Hart finished with 10 carries for 16 yards on the ground. On the other side, Jay Ajayi goes for 33 carries, 219 yards, and a pair of touchdowns. It just would have been so big that night to have a more consistent presence on the ground. For one thing, it would have been big for the defense who was struggling to stop Boise State's really talented offense. You're able to control time of possession, limit turnovers. Grayson had a couple of picks that night because he had to throw 58 pass attempts. It's not a guarantee or anything, but Capri did run for three touchdowns against Boise State the year before. And then when you look at the season finale against Air Force, infamous game, it's tied at 24 late. The Rams get to the Air Force 42. It's third and two. Jason Oden gets stuffed. They call a timeout. Then D. Hart goes for no gain. They turn it over. Falcons take over at their own 42 with 38 seconds left. They end up pulling out the play action on third and four. It goes for 26 yards. Classic Air Force. One more four-yard run end up kicking a 39-yard walk-off field goal. Brutal, brutal way for that season to end. And again, while there's no guarantee that having Capri there would have changed things, and I mean no disrespect to either D. Hart or Jason Oden, both of which were talented backs for CSU, but it's hard not to think about Capri running wild against Air Force in 2013. He had three touchdowns against them as well. Two games in 2014 when you really just needed a little bit more out of the running game against Boise and Air Force. If you have Capri, I really think that's the difference with how deep those teams are. Especially that Air Force game. 
And honestly, the decision to go for it on fourth and two and not play for overtime was the wrong one from the get-go. Everybody in the stands was flipping out. Like, what are we doing? I remember I was sitting next to some former players and they they couldn't believe it. In hindsight, I think Mac had one, maybe one and a half feet out the door at that point. But just a bummer of what was the most fun regular season of my adult life. Just a bummer for it to end that way. Bummer for the McElwain era as a whole to end that way because it, it really was so fun and so different. That's life, I guess. The third and final CSU Hill that I will die on is that Mike Bobo's chances of succeeding at CSU went out the window the night they blew that lead to Boise State. That locker room was never the same after that. The program was never the same after that. I think Mike Bobo is a good football coach. I think offensively he can script and call with the best of them. I think to an extent he came in thinking that he was just going to roll and kind of got humbled by the talent in the Mountain West. You know, he thought it would be a stepping stone. He did interview for Missouri, I believe, after his, his first year on campus. By the end, I think he's a guy that genuinely did want to establish success at CSU and had a different perspective of things. But the damage of that Boise State loss was certainly felt for the rest of that season all the way through 2018. They just had lost any and all momentum that had been built up under McElwain at that point. Bad luck just kind of compounded into 2019. But things were just never the same after that Boise State loss, and I can't help but think how different would have things gone if they didn't blow that game against Boise and, and Wyoming. If you know you end up in a better bowl that year, what does 2018 look like? Who knows? Because that offensive line was so bad. But I definitely don't think they would have rolled over the way that they did for the majority of that season. It was just backbreaking, no matter how you look at it, from the locker room perspective, from the fans' perspective, certainly all hope from the masses went out the window, and then you had two years of kind of this awkward relationship between Bobo and and the fans. I give Mike a, a ton of credit. You know, he saved CSU a, a lot of money with the deal that he was able to come to with Auburn. But in hindsight, any chance of of him succeeding at CSU, in my opinion, went out the window that night. So there you go. Those are three CSU Hills that I will die on. What are yours? Hit me up on Twitter at DNVR underscore Rams. You can also tweet me at Justin T. Michael. Shout out to all of you for listening. We will have a guest on tomorrow's pod. Not sure who yet. I will figure that out. Much love to everyone. Stay warm out there. It is stupid cold. Peace. Khakis wearing graphic tees, feeling way too trendy. Raps that kill. Oh, I'm deadly. Primed and ready like machetes at a deli in New Delhi. Feeling scummy like Martin Scarelli. Turn jam into jelly, then drink it like juice. The water's the truth, so I sip on that too. Skinny looking kid with no car keys. Like the only thing I drive is RCRV. He's got the stash like Steve Harvey. Oh, I'm gnarly. Like-